This is Tony Johnson with Heron.org Soundbites. I'm here today with Raul Pomares of Sonin Capital, and we're going to discuss their work and the work with some of their tonic members. So Raul, this is a joint project that Heron is doing with Tonic to talk to some of the advisors and managers that work with Tonic members. So just to get started, could you give a brief overview of the types of impact services you provide and a glimpse of your typical impact client and any thoughts on any investors that may be ahead of the typical, like what does that look like and what does that mean for your work? Great. Well, thank you, uh, Tony. Happy to be a, a part of this. I've always actually admired the early work of Heron and obviously been fortunate to be at Tonic since its early inception and watch the tremendous growth and role that it's plays now in the ecosystem. In terms of, you know, Sonin, who we are, what we do, clients we work with, and what's unique is we're, we're singularly focused on impact investing. It's who we are, what we do, and, and heck, it's, it's what's in our name. Sonin is a modified acronym for social and environmental capital. So really, that's what we do and what we're focused on, what that matters manifest into in terms of how we deliver that really is a function of working to bring solutions to asset owners, depending where they are at in that journey and how perhaps they may uh, organize their affairs and operate uh, their assets. Said simply, we really do three things. So one of the things that we've done at Sonin is we've created a series of pooled vehicles to allow asset owners to come together, aggregate their capital and gain access to what we believe are portfolios that are optimized for financial return and impact. But because those portfolios don't meet every client's need, clients have different financial objectives, different impact objectives. We also offer the ability to build kind of customized or what we call managed account services where we'll build a client a portfolio of funds and investments that are consistent with their own risk return and impact objectives. And then thirdly, for those who are still not all the way ready to move into implementation that might need still some help and guidance around building consensus amongst their board as their foundation or even amongst uh, family or family office organization. And we'll still do some kind of strategic consulting to kind of help coalesce a thesis and strategy around impact for which we can then assist them in implementing. Who we do this for are foundations, family offices. We're equally committed to and working with clients on a direct basis, but also working with their existing advisors, other wealth managers who have clients who have needs in impact, but those firms themselves aren't able to deliver the full breadth and depth of services that a dedicated firm like ours can bring. So we, we welcome the opportunity to also partner with other financial intermediaries in helping serve clients in their impact needs. Could you just go into a little more depth about how Sonin got started? Why is it an impact investing firm? Like, How do you contrast it with any work you may have done in the traditional investing space? Was there a learning so, curve? Uh, absolutely. You know, Sonin and my journey are intrinsically linked, obviously. And, you know, really started almost 15 years ago working with two of the founding uh, members of Tonic, Charlie and Lisa Kleisner, while I was, you know, working in a much more traditional wealth management type of business. Charlie and Lisa really challenged me to think differently about their wealth and how to uh, deploy that money, in particular, those assets that were in the foundation to align the assets with our programmatic 
intent and objectives. And so that was really the impetus in going out and looking out into the marketplace and not finding credible quality solutions. And I really set out to do the work myself. And so over the years, I built up a wealth management practice that really started to attract a significant number of clients for my impact investing capabilities. But then as time progressed, I kind of realized that one of the challenges were that even though I'd attracted this capital, I'd spent the time and energy you know, scouring the globe, trying to find what I believe to be the best of the best impact investments. It became increasingly difficult to actually put the money to work. I couldn't really build well diversified portfolios that I felt were critical in order to allow these clients to meet both the financial risk reward characteristics, but also the impact that they desired. So having looked at that and kind of hit that wall, you know, felt that really what was needed was a new business model that could build out the necessary scale and drive the expansion of the impact ecosystem that by, you know, creating a platform in which you can pool capital to deploy it, as well as needing to build a much more robust skill set by attracting a more dedicated team to be singularly focused around impact and impact investing. We didn't want to find ourselves in a situation where on one hand, we're part of a business that was trying to solve problems, which the other side of the business was investing directly against us by supporting or creating those problems. How do you decide what's an impact investment? And thinking about the various rating systems and screening methodologies, you talked a little bit about negative screening. Where do you land? And who do you think is doing this really well in terms of the methodologies and who or what kinds of methods might you generally avoid? Yeah, Tony, this hit on a critical element and challenge that we still face as an industry, and that is one of language. You know, unfortunately, we as an industry have not done ourselves any favor by all of us kind of referring to things differently, everybody kind of trying to come up with their own definitions or, or views on what is an impact investing. And so our approach has been to try to elevate the term impact investing and have it mean the full range of activity that you can do between classically investing for financial gain and the idea that if you wanted to do something good in the world, you had to do that through philanthropy. And so what we believe is there's a robust set of approaches that you can take in between those two historical paradigm, one being responsible investing where you are taking a, a negative screening approach. We talk about sustainability investing, whereas rather than avoiding investments, you proactively recognize and pursue investments that are excelling in terms of their environmental, social, and governance related practices to then thematic investments where I'll operate kind of at the nexus of both the investment opportunity and an incredibly important positive social and environmental outcome. And those three represent to us the range of activity one can embark on that are able to generate similar type market-based returns. We do also recognize that, yes, part of this ecosystem are uh, impact-first investments or for foundations program-related investments in which, of course, you'll be looking to optimize a social environmental impact with less regard to what the financial return might be. So the first thing we do is organize the universe into one of those categories. And then within each of those we assess and evaluate the quality and the ability of them to be doing that and are trying to push more and more towards thematic investing because for us, that is where we believe our mission of harnessing the power of capital markets to address large-scale global challenges and generate very attractive returns really is most epitomized. The process is very much focused on taking that theme and developing a robust framework and understanding of what are the outcomes that we seek within that theme, so water 
water, agriculture, energy, and then what those outcomes translate to in terms of investment sectors, and then how those sectors can be played both in public market or private market investing. And of course, we couple that with kind of a very traditional institutionally grounded quantitative and qualitative financial due diligence process. And so that's kind of how we pull it all together. And that also then that framework, not surprisingly, serves as the basis for the reporting around the impact of the investments that we made. One of the things that we did this year was to frame the results of our impact across our strategies against the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. And we chose to do that because we felt that we could at least start to get a common set of language and objectives from which all investors could begin to consider and evaluate their investments uh, against. So you mentioned outcomes. In looking at tracking a portfolio, how closely do you track impact performance over time? If a company is maybe going south in the impact performance area, do you advise clients on engaging or divesting? And and what sort of factors do you take into account? This is an area that we both as a business and we as an industry have still a long way to go and eager to see us continue to assess and evaluate. I don't think anyone has cornered the market, if you would, on the perfect solution for impact assessment and evaluation. But again, I do feel some of the work we do is no doubt at the leading edge. So we track it as closely as we can. And it's important for people to recognize that there is a natural bifurcation in how and what one can track in the context of things like public equities and public fixed income versus how one can track in private private equity venture capital, where you know, for example, if you invest in a utility scale solar farm, you know exactly how many uh, megawatts of clean power you're producing, how much that greenhouse gas you're offsetting. All those things are much more easily and clearly definable, accessible and measurable through private versus if you look at public equity, you know, our focus there is on developing and understanding a, a series of kind of high level output things like carbon intensity, water intensity, toxic emissions. And so what we're assessing and evaluating in our public equity portfolios is how are the companies performing relative to traditional benchmarks in terms of an environment, similar around social issues, governance-related issues. And so it's a series of kind of much more broad-based measurements. You mentioned engagement and advocacy. That is something we think is critically important to driving greater impact from public equity investments, recognizing that, again, they invest as an impact investor in public equities. Your impact is much more diffuse. You're much more further away from it. But nonetheless, how you can really solidify, from our perspective, that process is through engagement. And so we take a very active, engaged strategy in the sense that, number one, the underlying fund managers, which we're assessing and evaluating, ultimately putting in client portfolios, are selected for their approach and the work that they do. On top of that, we directly ourselves engage with companies, in particular around issues that we think are important, things like environmental disclosures. And I think the last thing in that question was also this notion of divestment. So we applaud and really appreciate the the efforts and the work of the Divest Invest campaign. We think it's been an amazing grassroots effort to really draw attention to the critical issue with respects to both the environmental risk and the financial risk associated with continuing to own carbon polluting companies as a portfolio 
portfolio approach, we've been very fortunate because we start with a high conviction and focus just on sustainability and thematic type investing. So our focus as a business has been on the invest side. Now, that being said, that doesn't mean that that process and those methodologies didn't result in some exposure to those types of companies. And in those instances, we did then make the decision based on the frameworks, the objectives we've stipulated, the policy guidelines of our respective clients to then ensure that those particular positions, no matter how de minimis, don't find their way into our clients' portfolios. Do you provide any research or other services to help clients better educate traditional investors on the work and why they do it? Absolutely. Not just other advisors, but other board members, family members. We think it's really important to do that. I think historically, our approach was to try to shame these other advisors or take an aggressive position against them. And I think our focus has been to really educate, to empower them, to get them to hopefully embrace an understanding of this. One of the things we do a lot of work on is creating and disseminating educational materials. If one goes to our website, you'll find no shortage of resources, uh, even the framework that I described earlier, uh, although not the full robust versions, we do produce a clear, comprehensive summary of, of the various frameworks for others to consider. We also produce a number of primers. So for example, clean power and land and natural resource management. I quickly found myself in a number of conversations where folks didn't know what a power purchase agreement, say the word PPA, and I'd get a blank stare. And then I'd say, oh, I meant power purchase agreement. These were things that many traditional advisors and just many people were not aware of, let alone a aware of the implications they had at driving financial return opportunities in the context of you know, highly impactful environmental positive investments. And so we published a real assets primer. Our most recent publication was on a water primer. You know, these pieces are, from our perspective, intended to be highly educational and a launching point for people to begin. So my last question, impact investing as a way of doing business is growing. We're hearing a lot about it. My boss, Clara Miller, is going to the Vatican actually next week for an impact investing conference. Can you talk a little bit about why you think this is happening right now, why it's gaining in momentum, and how does it relate to longer term economic trends? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, the old guard of traditional investment management is really starting to change their tune and are coming into the space in different forms and fashions. We have a lot of attention drawn to kind of the millennial generation really starting to ask their advisors for sustainable investment options. We've got more and more folks that are really asking for these types of solutions. I think it's a series of factors. One, I think that the realization of some of the macro trends that are driving this in terms of population growth urbanization, natural resource utilization, you know, these things are there. I mean, all you have to do is go to the city of Beijing and see the air quality. These things are less and less theoretical. They're, they're right in people's faces. And so as a result of that, I think people are more and more tuned and waking up to that. Uh, two, as you see, we are in a time period of unprecedented transition from one generation to the next. Whenever there are transitions of wealth and leadership and responsibility around assets, you tend to see uh, new ideas. And this is a generation that's grown up around the ideals and principles, especially if any of them have gone to even business schools who 15, 20 years ago wouldn't touching the subjects. Now most business schools are, are really talking about this. And so I think that's had a, a major effect. And kind of similar to that has been the human capital coming into the traditional investment management, investment financial services industry. They too are grounded and have some of this perspective and are waking up to the opportunity to both pursue 
pursue a career in financial services and investment services while still being true to who you are from your personal values and explore and address social and environmental challenges. At a minimum, they recognize this is a strong desire of their clients and are fortunate to have things like Tonic, the work of Heron and others that has come before that has been publicized to turn to a point of reference to begin the journey themselves. Great. Well, thanks so much for your time, Raul. For Heron.org, this is Tony Johnson. Thank you.